The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Double barrel action in the producer's booth tonight. We've got Jake the Snake and Jay Peasy. We're here until midnight on 98.7 ESPN. Thank you, Pat O'Keefe. Interesting show for Pat. As a matter of fact, you got the Mets going a little bit. Thank you, Pat. Nice job. Can I just say this at the top? We've got a jam-packed show for you tonight. We are swamped. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing this show with you on a Sunday night. Getting you ready for the work week. But listen. I don't like Carl Schwarber. Is that understandable? Does that make me a bad guy? I'm not happy with Carl Schwarber. He's doing it again. He did it to the Mets last season. And he's doing it to the Mets again tonight. Now, fortunately... This is a Met team that's a little better offensively that can survive what Kyle Schwarber's done, who's had a couple of home runs tonight off Max Scherzer. And, um, you know, low concern. But right now the Mets are leading 6-3 as the Phillies bat in the top of the sixth. Here's the thing about Philadelphia, and it is so evident. It is so, so evident. They do, they can hit. They have a really good offense. Pitching is eh. Defense is ugh. And that's why they are really they they really make it tough. <laughs> they really make it tough on themselves. If they could find a way to shore themselves up defensively, they would be they would be really dangerous because they do have the offense to get going. And the pitching, like I said, is uh, is inconsistent. Bullpen is a you know <laughs> a wink and a prayer, but the hitting is good and the offense is a joke. But we'll keep an eye on the Mets and Phillies as the Mets, uh, you know, try to keep it going. We'll win series. It's what it's about. Win series. Just stack them up and move them out. As far as the Yankees are concerned, boy, have they turned things around. I kept telling folks, it's early. I know the offense is struggling, but it's early. I know you don't like how the team looks, but it's early. I know you don't, you're not happy with the lineup the way it is, and you didn't get these big offensive guys, but it's early. And right now, the Yankees are riding a streak. They're playing well. They're knocking teams out. They're beating the teams they are supposed to beat. They're getting excellent pitching. Nestor Cortez is still rolling. Garrett Cole joined the party. And Aaron Judge is hitting the ball out of the ballpark. All is good. If you're a Yankee fan right now, this is it. This is what you wanted to see. I know I see Jake over there smiling, nodding his head up and down. I get it. I know. See, I take care of my producers. I start off with the Mets with JP because he's a Mets fan. And then I switch over to Jake because he's a Yankee fan. I take care of my producers. You're a good I, I you're a good guy, Larry. And you know what? Whether you're a Mets or a Yankees fan, it's a good time to be it a is. New York sports fan. Not just with baseball, you know, it seems like the football teams are turning things around. Yeah. The Rangers are going strong into the playoffs. So you know what, uh-huh. Larry? I am in a good mood. I am smiling here at the studio because the New York sports teams are no longer, you know, the joke of their respective leagues. It's about time. I'm happy it's finally changed. I am happy. I'm happy. So this was an interesting weekend. So uh, once again, the Yankees are rolling. And it is such, you know what? We'll probably get no calls from Yankee fans because they're winning. And as long as they win, as another ball leaves the ballpark, <laughs> off Scherzer, as long as they win, everybody's okay. As long as they win, folks are good. You, I'm, I'm just saying. 
How could you? How could you be upset? There's nothing you. There's nothing that's bothering you right now. If you're a Yankee fan, your offense is great. This kid, Michael King, is outstanding. He's just been. He's like you could put him in the starting rotation right now. He's been so good. Chapman's been good. Okay, Loisaga gave you a start to to show that he's starting to get back on track. It, it's great to be a Yankee fan right now. It is. It is. Things are just rolling. Look at the look. Look at the situation tonight. Over this afternoon in KC. And one of the guys who I was really concerned about last season for the Yankees has really had this guy. Is, this is the guy that I've been looking for. And that's DJ LeMahieu. Okay, one for four today. His average has been over 300, dipped a little bit. It's 299 now, but he's right there. You love what he's done. Judge is hitting 300, two for five, two hits, three RBIs, a couple of home runs. I mean, Donaldson, uh, Stanton's been getting hits. You'd like to see if Glaber can get going a little bit. You know, and Duhar with two hits today. I mean, come on. The team is performing well. And you're in first place. <laughs> what? 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 You got nothing. There's, there's no issues. There's no issues right now. Just keep it going. I don't want to hear, well, it's Kansas City, and they're 7-13. and 13. Listen, Yankees were losing the teams that, had, that were losing the bad teams a couple of weeks ago. But that was April. And at the end of April, they started to turn it around. And now we're in March. We're in May. And the way Judge has started in May, he is starting like he's going to be able to ride this hot streak a little bit. And so they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. And that's what you're doing. And right now they are 16 and 6. <laughs> and playing good baseball. Playing good, playing winning baseball. That's all that counts. That's all that counts. Mets are now 15 and 7 after their loss yesterday. And, uh, you know, trying to get back on the winning track here against the Phillies team that, like I said, has no trouble scoring. They, they got power in this lineup, they got a little thump. But, um,. Hey, just give me, you know me, I'm very consistent. Give me serious. I don't expect teams to sweep all the time. I don't. Yeah, you go through stretches like the Yankees are right now where they're winning nine in a row and they're sweeping. But just give me, for the long haul, just win me as many series as you can and we'll be good. Mets now come up in the bottom of the sixth with a 6-4 lead over Philadelphia. This is going to be a very interesting scenario. And they were talking about it on the K-Rod cast. Gordon and I talked about it last week on ESPN New York Tonight, Monday through Thursday from 10 to midnight, or following the Rangers, who start their playoffs Tuesday night here on 98.7 ESPN, about what the Mets are going to do. Are they going to outright release Robinson Cano or will they send Dominic Smith down to the minor leagues because he's got some more options left? Because they have to, you know, the, the roster's going down to 26. They had been 28, you know, because of the shortened spring and extra pitchers, but now it's going down to 26. So one batter, one player's got to go. And the rumor has been, it's been between Robinson Cano, who's been struggling, okay, and Dominic Smith. And Dom Smith tonight has been, huh, Dom Smith tonight has said, very simply, I'm not doing it. I'm not leaving. 
three for three with three RBI and a run scored. He's making this case that he wants to stay. And Robinson Cano has struggled in the early beginning. He just has. He's not hit. He's not, not been able to get going. And he's owed a lot of money on this contract if they just release him. A lot of money. And I heard uh, watching the K-Rod broadcast that, you know, Michael was saying that Francisco Lindor said he would be very disappointed if Cano was sent down because he's one of the leaders in the clubhouse, even though he's not, you know, even though he's not hitting well right now. And so the question becomes, what do you do? Is there another person that we're not thinking of that could be the person, the odd person out of this lineup? because of what Francisco Lindor has to say. So I'm very curious to see what what move the Mets are going to make here. Because I think ultimately there might be another person that we're not even thinking about that could be the odd person out. Folks, you want to hear this. And I'm telling you from somebody who really, really is so happy about the all-new ESPN New York app. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you where I am, which is way out, (laughs) way out, way out. Sometimes I get where I am. I get Connecticut stations better than I get New York stations. Okay. And I'm nowhere near Connecticut, but I get Connecticut stations more clearer than I get New York stations. So when I found out, about the all-new ESPN New York app, I was jumping up and down. Not very high, but jumping up and down. Because this is where you can get all your favorite 98.7 radio shows and play-by-play streaming live. Catch up on what you might have missed with the Daily Recap Podcast from DPH from Rothenberg, the Michael K Show, Greeny, ENN, and more. Plus, streaming exclusives like Game Game Misconduct and Caught Off Sides, Flight Deck, and Breaking Big Blue. It's the all-new ESPN New York app available at the App Store and Google Play. Your city, your team, your ESPN New York app. It is, I'm telling you, you'll love it. And it's, here's the best part about it. When you when you on, to, on the main page, all the shows. You can click on the show and get your podcast, whatever you missed. All the shows, boom, right there, boom. But there's a big listen live button. Oh, and it sounds... Like, it sounds like we're sitting in your living room talking to you. Got to check it out. I'm telling you, it is outstanding. Outstanding. 1-800-919-3776. You know what else is outstanding? The way the Yankees have been playing right now. They are. Nine consecutive wins. The offense looks to be great. They now have the best record in baseball, and they did it via a comeback win today. Here's Yankee skipper Aaron Boone. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, it's one of those you've already won the series. You're down four-one. You know, it, it, that's one that can easily get away from you. Credit, credit to Sevy, man. You know, just battled and and you know to get through five innings for us, and just kind of wasn't going great. Obviously, there in the third and fourth, but he, he gets through clean in the fourth, fifth, and and just. Just a really, really good effort. And then everyone coming in in the pen and contributing and throwing a hand in there, I thought really good. We didn't break it open necessarily, but I, I thought we really made it tough on them and gave, grinded ourselves back into that game. And um, Yeah, just a, another another 
good one because so many people had a hand in it. It was a nice win for the Yankees. Nice come from behind win. He's right. You could have settled for, listen, you got the, you got the series. Okay, we didn't get this one. The streaks got in, but they found a way. They fought back. And so you give them credit. You know, that's what they do. Now, Clark Smith has been a guy that's really pitched well. But he found out that he's being sent down, as you know, we were just talking about the situation with Robinson Cano and Dom Smith, right, with the Mets. Well, he was the casualty with the Yankees as they had to get down to the roster limit. And he said being sent down, it's not easy. Yeah, it's a, it's a real tough pill to swallow. I mean, um, it's just tough, yeah. I mean, there's no easy way to put it, especially, um, you know, like you said, I've been throwing well, I've been feeling well, comfortable. Um, doing my job getting guys out it's just I guess it's part of the game it's a it's a business also so um, hopefully they get me back up here soon and you know it's it's just real tough yeah it's no question it's got to be tough the young man's produced that's what he this is it's a numbers game and it's about who has options and who doesn't have options he's got some options left so they sent him down but listen the way he's pitched he'll be back and and all he has to do is put the fact that he's sent down here's here's what he has to do very simple okay very simple I don't belong here. I'm going to show them I don't belong here. I belong with the big club. I'm just blowing people away. It's the bottom line. And he'll be right back up here in no time. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. 1-800-919-3776. Eli's in Washingtonville. Eli starts us off on the, on the Larry Hardesty Show. Hey, Eli. Hey, Larry. Listen, man, uh, I want to talk you off that uh, high horse. Because tell you, we've been through this season after season after season. The Yankees are built to beat up on bad teams. Now, when they start facing good pitching, that's when the hits start going away. That's when Judge starts struggling. That's when a lot lot of bats start going cold. Now, I I give it to you. You know, the pitching has been good. The bullpen is stupendous. But the thing that is the Achilles heel of the Yankees every season is the hitting. And it disappears when they face good pitching in the playoffs. Now, you know, all Mets fans, Mets fans, you know they get happy and they have that little thing in the back of their mind that this, you know, you know the is going to fall and everything's going to go bad. Now is the I feel the same way about the Yankees. Like every season, I'm like, all right, fine. You know, we, we, we you know, we're turning that corner. We, you know, Judge is producing. Uh, you know, they're getting big hits and having good wins. But and then when the playoff comes, it's the same thing, Larry. So, Eli, so help me out then. If you're telling me that the Yankees are built to beat up on bad teams, right? Now, last year, would you say the Orioles were a bad team? Yeah, but we lost did to the you Orioles. Beat, did you beat up on the season. Orioles? Uh, in the beginning, no. Last season, no. No, okay. But again, so, so what am I – all right, so let me ask you this, Eli. What am I supposed to do when the Yankees – the Yankees don't choose who they play? All right, so if they right. beat up, or if they beat up, if they're winning now and they're playing better, Eli, as a Yankee fan, can't you just enjoy the fact that at least they're playing better going into a series against Toronto, and we'll see how they play against Toronto? Yes. Yeah, that's okay. Then, then I start, you know, celebrating those victories when they okay. come when they face Toronto, and they, they, you know, they face good competition. Then I can start getting a little happy. All right, so what am uh, I supposed said, to do with this? So, so I'm not supposed to count the fact that they beat. No. I don't count them. It doesn't matter because if they lost to yeah, them, Eli, if they lost to Baltimore again, because you know how you were there when when you lost to Baltimore earlier this season. Okay, if you had lost to yeah. Baltimore again and lost to Kansas City again, the Yankee fans would be up in arms, would they not? Yeah, you're right. 
Okay, well, so, listen, and enjoy, so enjoy. but you beat them this time. So can't you be a little happy, Eli? For for I am a little, a little happy. happy? I, I, like a fan, you don't I sound am happy, happy, Eli. Eli, you don't sound happy. <laughs> you don't sound happy. Eli. Well, you know, you know what makes me happy? The, the Giants are having that good draft pick. Well, that's those good. Two draft picks, yeah, those were two. That's did a the nice job. That said in the court. Yeah, that, those were two good pickups. That you know, it shows that the, the franchise is going in a different direction. Yeah. You know, if Cashman would have made some smarter moves this offseason, then I would have been, you know, very optimistic well, with, with the Yankees. But, but let's okay. see. You know. And they're playing, they're playing the way we want them to play. Right. That's the way Cash wants them to play. Right. We want, like, we're getting hits. We're getting basics. They let them play the way they play. Eli, you're winning. You know? You won nine straight, yeah. Eli. Eli, you got the best record in baseball. Enjoy it. Right. And, Enjoy and the it. way we want, we want them to play. Not exactly. the long ball. They're stealing bases. Exactly. They're hitting uh, doubles. That's yes. the way the Yankees need to play. Exactly. See? So maybe something happened in the front office that we didn't. So maybe something happened in the front office that we don't know about. They say, well, you know what? You this, Let me I tell you this, and thanks for the phone call. Always good talking to you. I tell you this. Whether it happened in the front office or not, give Aaron Boone some credit for making some adjustments. He's got he's he doesn't have a lot of consistent production at the bottom of his order. So what he's doing is he's trying to manufacture some runs to get back to the top of the order. It's a great job out of him. That's what you're supposed to do. It's what you're supposed to do. Move the runners along if you're not getting big hits. You have to find a way to manufacture other ways to get runs. And, you know, the stats are out there. I mean, Kay was talking about it last week. Numbers are down as far as home runs in the major leagues for the first month of April. So if home runs are down, people have to find other ways to manufacture runs. And guess what? Teams that go further in the postseason, they're able to beat you more than one way. So even with all these home run hitters that the Yankees have, okay, they're still finding a way to mix it up, okay, and and move not to play small ball, but to play where, where you where you stay out of double plays, where you're in a situation where you can move the runners over, where you're doing where 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 you're you're not relying on just a home run, at least over these nine games. Now Hopefully it doesn't go back <laughs> to the way it was. Hopefully they continue with the mixture. If if you get the pitch, pull it out of the ballpark. If you don't, then then you know mix it up, move the runners, and do things like that. That way, there won't be four outfielders in the outfield. <laughs> so we were just talking about the Yankees and Eli from Washingtonville that says, "Listen." They beat up on some bad teams, but they have, after today's win, they've won nine in a row, best record in baseball. They have a day off tomorrow, and then they face Toronto. And Aaron Judd says, you know what? It's kind of nice to face Toronto when we're playing well. Obviously, they're a really good team, off to a good start as well. Um, you know, a, a team I'm sure we're going to have to battle with all year uh, if we want to get to where we want to go. So uh, looking forward to going up there and, and playing against one of the game's best. Yeah, that was Aaron Boone uh, talking about the series coming up against Toronto. And this will tell us early where the Yankees are, although the Yankees fared pretty well in their last series against Toronto. Back to the phones we go. Spike is in St. Pete. Hey, Spike. 
Hey, Larry. Glad uh, glad you're on. Glad I could talk to you. First of all, does Francisco Lindor turning into Kyrie Irving? <laughs> no, he's not saying he owns the team. <laughs> he's making suggestions as opposed to yeah. we're running things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he's not going to be happy with Cano. First of all, look, Cano's getting paid. He's got a contract. He shouldn't give up a dime. Put all the other stuff on the side. I read a lot about this owner and his wife. You know all the background, her illnesses, and she's very charitable. He's got a contract. Pay it out. If they like Lindor, uh, Lindor and a couple of the other fellows like uh, Cano, well, he's there. He's just an overpaid cheerleader. But uh, gets warmed up. He'll hit those line drives. He's a little slow in the field. They're playing very, very good baseball. I love watching Scherzer. I know he's mm-hmm. not... He always gives up home runs in the first inning. He's just, he's so close to Siva, my memory tells yeah. me. He just guts yeah. it through. And I'll tell you another thing. Yeah, he loves being here. He's a cheerleader. He didn't have to do this. He gave up the money to get the youngsters, which is admirable, and I'm not surprised. And that's, it's hard to say it because it's so much money, but that's money well spent. And uh, if the Grom comes back, you know, it's what it is. But the Mets are much improved. And it's fun to watch, and the atmosphere is good. And when the wet weather gets warm, it'll be great. Yankees, Eli, God bless you. You got to beat who's on the schedule. Baseball's turned into what happens whenever the trade deadline is in July. I know a couple of teams won a couple of years ago with acquisitions in July. It's what it is, but you have to position yourself right. And I think they go down May first today. I think they they only allow thirteen pitchers, so. Uh, not with a guy like Scherzer, but you're going to need it. So it's fine. Both teams are in first place. Mm-hmm. I got to make That's one great. quick basketball, one quick Absolutely. basketball comment sure, because no. it's it's you. And by the way, you didn't have to jump at CCNY. You just boxed out, and that's that's all I got to say. You got a lot of boards. Uh, I love Milwaukee all year. You know that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I've been. I, I, I listen. Middleton. He's a great player. Great two way player. I thought Boston, I have no love for Boston. I thought they caught a real soft opponent with the Nets, even though the scores were close. Some things are misleading, notwithstanding the first game, where both Kyrie and KD went for the steal. In my lifetime, I'm, you know, if I'm a Nets fan, I'm, you got to stay home on that play. You just, yeah, I didn't get true. it. Well, foul the guy, tie him up, and make it worth two, you know, make him make both free throws. Anyway, so but Milwaukee's this guy. Uh, I have come, you know it. I've come full circle on on Giannis. He's the six best steps. player in the NBA. Used to be best six player. steps. <laughs> no, we, well, look, I, look I, I tell you, when we talked to all those nights we talked, Larry, I never really comprehended the gather. I guess that's what they call it. And I went back upon uh, the other Beaver guy, and he says, look at Ginobili. And Ginobili cupped the ball. And if they're going to allow it, you've got to play it. But I knew today when I saw Scott Foster and, um, I forget, Ed uh, Malloy, uh, I looked it up because I'm interested in those type of uh, wagering things. I looked it up, and I saw the records against uh, Boston. I saw a visiting team, first game on the roads, the one you steal. And uh, they didn't steal it. After the first three minutes, they, they basically blew them out of the building. Yeah, and uh, they got a good team. Those, those kids in the backcourt can shoot. And uh, Golden State, too, they're really, really good. That's Raymond Green. I can't figure it out, Larry. You've got to throw him out of the game when he grabs that. He could, the guy could have fallen down and split his head open. But good to yeah. hear you, and go Mets, go Yankees. All right, Spike, thanks for the phone call. I, I looked at that, and, and I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I wasn't sure whether 
I thought he was almost trying to hold on to him to keep from him hurting himself when he was grabbing the jersey as he as he was falling off balance because he could have let him go. He didn't. So I thought that's what he was trying to do. But, you know, look, if you're Draymond Green, you can't put yourself in that position, you know. And this is going to be a long series. This is going to be, you know, don't count Memphis. Memphis made a couple of rookie mistakes from not, you know, not being there and not understanding what it takes and not knowing, being able to close people out. And, you know, uh, they've got to find a way. And we'll talk uh, NBA at the top of the hour with Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer. Uh, They have to find a way to give John Morant a little bit more of a break so that he's fresher in the fourth quarter because he was exhausted. Okay, exhausted. Big Travis in Mount Vernon. What's up, BT? What up, up, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. What's going on? I've been holding your call for a while because I was waiting for the draft. You see what the Lions have done. They have been inspired by the Cincinnati Bengals, who got a lot of success very quickly mm-hmm. through some good moves in the draft. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to at least an eight, nine win season this year. I think that we as New Yorkers need to start showing Buffalo some more love because we got they, that's our best team, and we're not seeing no Buffalo swag anywhere. Uh, another thing is Yankee fans whine like Cowboy fans. I'm tired of it. <laughs> Y'all winning, you got this, you got that. Otherwise, brother, I'm very happy. And also, Malvern won, Malvern High School won the title this year. Congrats. So, boys basketball team are doing their thing, and we got to give them their love, baby. One love. Thanks, guys. Right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Big Trev. Mount Vernon, home of Bill Daughtry. And they, they're doing the great, some great things up there. And, yeah, you know, listen, we'll talk draft. Uh, we'll have uh, Chris Canty on a little later in the show. And he'll break down what the Giants were able to do. But here's the bottom line. They, they, both local teams did a phenomenal job, I think, in the first round of the draft to be able to get who they needed to fill in spots was big. It was big. And I think, you know, especially looking at, and and I got to, well, I'll, I'll share it with you a little bit later, but I'll just tease it by saying the Jets surprised me that Joe Douglas was able to maneuver back in. And he must have known he would be able to maneuver back in because I love the receiver that took Wilson out of Ohio State. Love him. Love him. But I was like, don't you guys really, don't you guys really need a pass rusher? But they went down and they got him. So everything turned out well in the first round for the Jets and the Giants. They needed offensive linemen badly. And they got one and they got a pass rusher too. So that's a good thing. Bruce is in Flushing. Bruce is next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Larry. Uh, Yankee points, Ranger points, and football giant points. Go. First on the Yankees. This is New York. We're supposedly the sophisticated media um, uh, outlet and people who write for the media. How come nobody has brought up the fact that maybe the reason why the Yankee pitching staff is better is because Sanchez is not catching anymore? <laughs> Well, because we don't think it's that it's that easy sometimes, Bruce. We're looking for all the different complicated things. Maybe it's, you know, how they got started. Maybe it's diff- this, that, and the other thing. We're not talking that much about uh, about Gary Sanchez, but, you know, maybe it's as simple as that. Simple as that. Secondly, um, here's what the Yankees have to do for the playoffs. Get rid of the left fielder. I mean, you know, there are enough people who love 
of people who hit home runs and strike out and everything. And also, I think he just, just is not comfortable playing in New York. Uh, so you, you have to get rid of him. I think you have to get rid of Torres for the simple reason: a, you might use, you need him to get another pitcher, and b, if you're going to be in the playoffs and the World Series, hopefully, you're not going to be resting people every other day. Get a set lineup. You're not going to be, you know, so have have Boggs at first, DJ at, at, at second, IKF at, at, at short, and and uh, the big guy at third. And if you have injuries, so be it. But you can't keep resting people down the stretch in the playoffs. It's counterproductive. That's why you need to trade Torres, and this way it'll get you a picture, your comments, and then we'll get to the Rangers. Uh, Bruce, I still think that for you to move Torres and get the type of picture you want, you're gonna, he's going to have to produce a little bit more than what he's doing now. Right now, hopefully by the, All-Star, by, by the trading deadline around the All-Star break, he is hitting better. And then on that side, you, you want him to make it a tough decision. And if he's hitting, you might say, okay, you know what, he's starting to hit now, we'll stick with him. But as a, if he continues to hit the way he's hit right now, Bruce, you're not going to get what you need from him. You're going to sell low. And for a player with well, no, that he's much He's starting to hit a little bit. He's starting to get there. He's warming up. Yeah, but, but is he hitting um, enough for the type of pitcher that you're looking for? It, no, he's got um, <laughs> He's got to do All right, well. He's, he's, well, he's well, showing signs of life, as Marv Albert would say. Showing signs of as life. As, okay, as far as the Rangers, yes. my prediction, Rangers in seven. It's going to be a long, tough series, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and this is the first time this group has gone through a playoff series. So, you know, it's not going to be all cut and dry. There may be some problems, mistakes, you know, so that's why seven. But if the goaltender's on, the Rangers will win this series. It probably is it's going to come, come down to the goaltender. Well, it usually does, as you well know, Bruce, in the short series, and especially in the postseason. Thanks for the phone call. And you're absolutely right. That's that's Shesterkin has got to be able to stand on his head. He's going to be tested. The question's going to be, can uh, the Ranger coaching staff coach their guys up to prepare them to win? There's no substitute for experience. they got to go through it. Okay, they have to go through it. And Pittsburgh is not an easy team. They're, they're a team that has a, a pedigree on there. They know what it takes to go deep in the postseason. They understand what it takes to win. They know. And the Rangers are learning. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting series. It really is. And I agree with you. I think it's going to go seven as well. And you can hear every single game right here on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> Let's go back to the phone. Buddha's in the Bronx. He's next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Buddha. Hey, what's going on? How you doing, big bro? Everything is good, man. What's happening? Hey, it was good to hear from Big Trap. I heard my man in a while since the gout. You know what I'm saying? That's my dude right there. <laughs> Been a minute. <laughs> oh, man. Let me tell you something, man. He ain't never lied, man. I mean, the whiner from Washington. Dude. Oh, my God. You want to talk about a Debbie Downer. Yeah, dude, you know, you call every night with the same call about Brian Cashman. Diversify your sports sports radio portfolio, please. <laughs> Especially when he's winning. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sure he's a blast to be around around the house. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he's got passion, though, Sorry. buddy. He's got passion. He's, he, he's, he's just looking long-term. He's been hurt. He's got, he's got a lot of things. <laughs> he's been, hey, Buddha, his heart has been broken. His heart's been broken, Buddha. 
<laughs> yeah, especially with the Yankees being the worst team that we've ever had in this town. <laughs> we've got 27 yeah. championships. Yeah, February, exactly. brother. <laughs> Spoiled. Listen, yeah, man. <laughs> you know, um, two things, man. With the, with the Memphis and, and the Warriors, I heard you talk about the proper large stuff. Listen, man, that was an exciting game, it but was. it really wasn't a well-played game. No, it wasn't. I mean, Draymond Green, not only do you, like, what are you doing? Like, dude, you know the referees don't like you. Why mm-hmm. do you put yourself in a position like that? They, the, the Warriors should have lost that game, to be yeah, quite honest with you. Yeah, they should have lost that game. I mean, but see, this is why I was um, going back and forth with Ty Butler about about um, Memphis. You can't bank on them really getting anywhere because they don't value possessions enough. They turn the ball over way too much in, in, in big spots. And, you know, if Clay Thompson doesn't miss those two free throws, you know, then they're not even going to win. You know, it was just I, – I don't know, man. You know, like I said, I really hope that Devin Booker – comes back healthy. Yeah, I want Chris Paul to get that ring. Or if he doesn't get it, I want it to go down where the two best teams go at it with each other. You know, mm-hmm. this injury stuff in the playoffs is, 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 is you know, it's, it's, it's not good, man. But um, I say this much though, and you know, now in terms of being a Debbie Diamond, you know, I, I've been down on Joe Douglas, and rightfully so. There were mm-hmm. things that didn't work out. You know, uh, the Makai Becton thing is not a good situation, and um, you know, but this weekend. Anybody who wasn't pleased, you know, I don't know what it takes to please you. Uh, it was a great draft. He got some great players. But there's a question I would pose to you, uh, or two scenarios I would pose to you. I, first of all, I think that the Jets, you know, either get rid of Mike White or get rid of Joe Flacco, and Nick Foles is getting ready to get released by the Bears. You bring him in here because you got to have a contingency plan because what we saw from Wilson, and when I hear people say, all right, you've got to take this into giant next step, what do your eyes tell you? Your eyes tell you that he's going to be one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the AFC next year? No, he's not. And you know he's not. So you've got to have a contingency plan. But let's say, look, two scenarios. And uh, Robert Sala's got a lot to prove to me personally, too, as well, like X's and O's. But let's say the Jets, they become much better next year. You know, but, you know, they're not really a playoff contending team. But you see, like, Sala's defense becomes like the defense it was in San Francisco. And, he, you know, and the Jets, you know, become a fairly good team, and the quarterback is sort of holding them back. Or worst-case scenario, like Salah doesn't improve the way we need him to improve. You see that the pieces have been put there by Joe Douglas, but he missed on the quarterback and he missed on the um, offensive lineman in the first pick. In those two scenarios, what would you do moving forward in terms of, like, who stays, who goes, and how would you work that? Well, Buddha, I, I got to tell you, um, if the quarterback doesn't, the offensive lineman is the quarterback is the one. I'm just going to tell you, it's the quarterback. If the quarterback doesn't show you substantial growth this season, and thanks for the phone call, my friend. If if, if he doesn't show you substantial growth this season, then you got to you. That's on Joe Douglas. He drafted him. Nothing gets a general manager and head coach fired faster faster than picking the wrong quarterback. Now, the question will be, if once you find out this year, if he's not the right guy, then what's the next step? Like you said, what's the contingency plan? Because, listen, Arizona, when when Josh Rosen was drafted and you saw he wasn't the right guy, they didn't stick with him. They moved on. And I think that's what you have to do. If you Look, he should have worked out. We thought he was able. We made a mistake. We blew it. We got to move on from it. We can't, we can't, we don't need to see year three and year four. He's not working out. 
then you got to move on. And that's going to be a, a strong situation and a tough situation for Joe Douglas. Now, hopefully, with the right coaching and, the, and you know, more weapons around him and maybe even more experience from a now second-year signal caller, remember he had the first-year head coach and the first-year offensive coordinator, hopefully with experience from all parties, They'll make the adjustment, put him in better position, and they'll improve. But to answer your question, I don't a, a bad choice on the offensive lineman, it happens. A bad choice for a, trying to get a franchise quarterback, especially this franchise that's been looking for a franchise quarterback since forever. It's 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 almost it's a fireable offense. It is. Okay, because you you put you intentionally lost so you would be able to get the quarterback you wanted. And you had more than one option. Okay, now, once again, I don't know what Fields is going to do. I don't know how he's going to look. He showed he showed a lot last year. He showed more than what Wilson did. Okay? So you want to see this year. Um, Flacco and White, I hear what you're saying. You need to upgrade yourself at quarterback. I guess they feel as of right now that they will stay with Flacco. I don't know what they're doing with White. I don't know if they're going to keep him on practice squad. I don't know what they're going to do with him. But um, I would say that if you're going with experience, you would probably go with probably go with Flacco. If you're going to stay with the experienced guy who's already familiar with your, you know, your pattern and your playbook and everything. But I hear what you're saying. If you want to upgrade that position, but I still don't think that they want – I still don't believe that they want to just say, okay, let's make him think that he's not going to be that he that he's he, that he's not going to be the starting quarterback. That he's got to really, really, really mess up. We don't want to put any pressure on him. We don't want him to be in that spot where he's looking over his shoulder on the sideline that every time he makes a mistake, he's coming out of the game. I understand that. But as I said before. And I know he's the starter. I get it. You drafted him to be your guy. But there's nothing wrong with having a little competition at quarterback to start in training camp to let him know, hey, you know what? You can lose your job. It's your job, but you can lose it. And this year, I, we got no problems sitting your behind down if you don't play well and bringing somebody else in to run this club because you have to understand. You were a rookie last year. We kept telling you we don't need the, you know, we don't need the spectacular plays all the time. Give me a regular play. Do what needs to be done. Move the ball down the field and let's go. And all too often, he didn't do it. Trying to make the big play, rolling out, throwing the ball down the field, the double coverage and all that. Obviously, rookie mistakes in some case, but when you've been told and when you've been coached up and you still make those decisions, then you need to sit. And he needs to understand that you cannot continue. In the second year, the lease is much shorter than it was as a rookie. Much shorter. Because potentially we've got a better team. I mean, you look at the draft that they have in the first round. These are players. You heard Keyshawn Johnson mention it on Keyshawn J. Will and Max on Friday. These guys that the Jets drafted and the Giants in the first round, these guys are impact guys that are ready to step into the, the rotation now, you could plug them in as starters now. Okay, that's not the way this team was last season. 
Either of them. So you're looking at an upgrade, potential upgrade on the defensive front for the Jets now. You're looking at an upgrade on the Jets secondary right now. You're looking at an upgrade on the Giants offensive line right now and the defensive line right now with the five players that were drafted by both teams, both local teams. So if I'm a, if I'm the jet front office, listen, you, you got to come in here and do better than you did last year. We're not accepting that nonsense. Now, do we understand that there's still things you have to learn? Absolutely. Do we understand that, that you're, that you're not a finished product? Of course. But you can't continue to make the same dumb mistakes you made last year and expect to continue to play. And that's what, in my humble opinion, my humble opinion, that's what he needs to understand going in. And it sounds like he's already taken some things. You know, he's been looking at video. I heard some heard him talking to the press conference with the media last week, and he's going around, he's been practicing, he's been working with guys. So already he is he has made, I think, a better step understanding, having been in there what it takes to win. And I don't think you know until you've been in there and had to face the rush and the pressure and the different uh, schemes and study and everything. You kind of know what it is, but you don't know until you got to do it. And now that Zach Wilson's done it, he understands that he was not prepared enough for this team to take them where they needed to go and for him to be as good as he could have been last season. But we'll talk more NFL uh, at 10.30 and at 11 o'clock. When we return, we'll talk a little NBA. We'll get some thoughts on the uh, first day of the playoffs, second round playoffs, and uh, what's going on. We'll do that with Rod Boone from the Charlotte Observer. That's next. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. We go to uh, my colleague, Spent the trenches together in places like, oh, let's see, Cortland, uh, Cortland, New York, San Diego, Philadelphia, a uh, couple of, never got to Miami with Rod Boone. He, he never got to, you know, we, I never got to, to do the Stephen A and go to, my, go to uh, uh, you know, the fabulous places in Miami. Uh, with Rod Boone when he and I were entrenched with the New York Jets. But he has left me, gone on to bigger and better things. He now writes for the Charlotte Observer. He covers the NBA, and especially he focuses on the Charlotte Hornets. He is Rod Boone. Hey, Rod, how are you? I'm doing good, Larry. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing great, my friend. I wanted to pick your brain about uh, the NBA playoffs, specifically the East, because of all the injuries and things that have gone on. But first... I have to, uh, out of good conscience, find out, because I was a little shocked. Why did Charlotte move on from their head coach? I thought he was, I thought he did an excellent job. You know, that's kind of like the million-dollar question a little bit, uh, Larry, because it's funny. Uh, literally, as the Horns were kind of making their, little, their run here towards the end of the season and get to the playing tournament, one of their... One of the things where they were getting close to a, a potential, at least a home game. You know, the playing tournament, if you're above the 10th seed, you get a chance to play at least one home game if you lose the first game or whatever it is. So the Hornets didn't get that chance. And then when they um, went to Atlanta 
and lost by 29 points in the playing tournament game. Um, I have to lose my 27 points to Indiana last year, um, you know, Indianapolis. That was just a, a really, I mean, tough pill to swallow, I think, for management. Um, it, it's really bizarre because just right before he got fired, essentially, there were no indications from my perspective and anybody who I talked to, he's in the hot seat. Because as you mentioned, he had, he had a decent year against Borrego this year in terms of 43 wins. The organization has only had 40-plus um, wins four times, Larry, including this year since they come back to having pro basketball in 2004 or five here in Charlotte once the uh, expansion team came back with the Bobcats. So it's really uh, it's still kind of hard to figure out exactly what happened. But I think what really boils down to is the Hornets didn't play well in the two biggest games on the last two seasons. Um, even though they had improvement, I think maybe they felt like they, they were tapped out with the coach and couldn't get any better, maybe want a new voice. But, uh, man, it's, it's, it's still kind of a head-scratcher around the league because many people, as you mentioned, thought you did a good job. Yes, yeah, it's crazy. I just I thought they would, you know, now that they made that move, here's the time that, you know, rewards your coach. Even if he was on the hot seat, Rod, okay, let's, let's see what happens this year. They get off to the slow start, boom, let's, let's move on from him. But let's see if they can build on what they accomplished this year. I mean, you know, you guys have a nice young team. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what my thinking too, Larry, was that I figured even though um, obviously they had improvement this year and they've improved the last couple of seasons, again, when you lose the way you did the last game of the season, lose a sour taste in your mouth. So I figured at worst, okay, you know, he's back next year. Because I think that the big thing, too, I had to mention, he got a contract extension last year, Larry. Mm-hmm. He had two years left on his deal. He got extension back in August. I mean, we're only just starting May 1st today. So it's not even a year ago the man got extension. So he goes from getting extension to basically losing his job. And I just, it's still kind of hard to figure out. But I think, as you mentioned, I just think that um, it's, it's, it's really um, still hard to figure out the timing-wise because I, I figure, again, at worst, he's on the hot seat next year. Almost like when I covered the Nets, Brooklyn Nets, in their first season in Brooklyn, when Avery Johnson um, was right at 500 or so around around Christmas. You know, Mikhail Prokhorov didn't like that. And I, at that point, let him go. I figured it'd be something maybe it was like that, but mm-hmm. to let him go – um, after the extension, it's still kind of head scratcher. All right, Rod, let's let's uh, get your expertise and look at the NBA moving on in the postseason. I want you to focus on the East for me. And look, I know it's one game between Milwaukee and Boston, but I, I mean, I don't know how to look at this. I mean, am I looking at this Boston production today as Milwaukee's that good, or? Is Boston that bad? And what does that say about how Brooklyn was, the way that they were able to well, sweep Brooklyn? Well, you're right. I think the first thing is, is you got to go back to the Brooklyn thing because uh, after watching the Celtics dismantle the Nets, I think everybody said, okay, Boston pretty much has really arrived now. Right? They're going to the championship, uh, potential finals uh, type team. And depending on who they face in the West, can maybe win it all. But as you said, this, this is how playoffs change in just one game. Um, I don't think the Celtics are in that much trouble. They still can come in the series, obviously, in six or seven games. But when you lose game one on your home floor after you worked, um, you know, to get home court advantage, and you even mentioned a little bit how the, the Bucks, you know, didn't play at last game of the season, um, you know, to, to kind of get that second seed so they can kind of quote unquote avoid Brooklyn, um, and then to go out there and lose the way they did, it's definitely a little troublesome because when you sweep the net in that fashion. And Tatum was the way he was playing, uh, played the way he did. And so Jalen Brown, those guys, it's just kind of hard to see them play the way they did in this first game of the series. I think 
we were surprised to see the Bucks' length give something similar to problems. I mean, we know Giannis is long and athletic, but Brooke Lopez in there blocking shots. Bobby Porter's was kind of in there as well, throwing, uh, throwing some mixing of defenses and for them for the most part. And then you also throw in just um, just the fact that they're missing obviously one of the top guys in Chris Middleton and the fact that Grayson Allen played well in his place. It's just the, the, the Bucks are in a good shape to come out there and get a game one win in the hospital environment with a team that everybody pretty much picked on the championship just a couple of days ago. So I wouldn't get too crazy just yet from a Celtics fan, but definitely a little bit of concern after game one because you saw a little bit of things exposed that didn't happen in the series against Brooklyn. I mean, Rod, and as you mentioned, there's no Chris Middleton. So if he had been there, I mean, it could have been much worse. That's the scary part about it. Absolutely, because, you know, that's the thing is, is when the Bucks. You know, you kind of don't really think about Chris Middleton as maybe one of the, the stars of the league, per se. But on that team, he's one of the key players. I mean, when Giannis is able to go out there and drive and do his thing, and you throw Middleton out there slashing and Drew Holiday, as we know, they just won a championship last year based off just them being an entire team. And mm-hmm. for them to not have him in game one, and probably for the entire series, it appears, um, and to come out there and get a steal game one on the road, that means now you have home court advantage. So if you... Milwaukee, if you just serve, you know, whole serve in, in games, you know, uh, you know, four and five, and then uh, you know, just oh, excuse me, three and four, and then game six potentially there at home, then hey, the series is yours. So it was kind of interesting to kind of see the series start today the way it did uh, again because something had been so dominant against the Nets. But as you mentioned, Larry, I mean, man, what did I say about Brooklyn? Just how bad they were if they were just crushed the way they were by the Celtics. Now, Rod, in covering the NBA and covering the East especially, what's the big difference in Milwaukee? Is it that Giannis has taken that next step? I mean, we all kept saying, boy, when he starts to hit the three or when he's able to get a jump shot and you still can't keep him out of the lane. But he just, for me, I think the biggest adjustment has been that his confidence in his teammates and his willingness to give up the ball to look for other people and kind of pick his spots as to when he needs to take over. That's been the biggest difference to me. What have you seen from his game? I, I agree with all the above, Larry. I mean, that's the thing is it seemed like he's learned how to win. And, you know, for the most part in sports, it takes a good player a little bit of time to come to figure out how you should go about things. And when you're a star, you're being counted on. When you're being double teamed, triple teamed, it's on you to kind of find a way to elevate your game and change as defenses kind of gear up to stop you. So as you mentioned, he's found a way to give up the ball when he should, drive to the basket with reckless abandon, not sell the three-pointers. Um, I, I, he's, his mid-range game is, is good. He has a pull-up jump shot. Um, his free throws have improved. So it seems like he's just an all-around player. And what's scary is, is he had, again, a really solid year this year. And then, you know, trying to pick the MVP of the league this year, Larry, he's talking to me. And I voted Joel Embiid first, uh, you know, Nikola Jokic second, and then Giannis third. But I still feel sometimes bad about that because Giannis could easily be the MVP. Um, he's had a great season. And I think people, again, see with him winning a championship last year, his confidence is through the roof, as you mentioned. So now for him it's more about just going out there and just duplicating it now in the postseason because now it's winning time. He knows what to do about the time of the year. Supports of Rod Boone, NBA columnist, writer for the Charlotte Observer. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, Rod, let's talk about the other series. And this one is troubling. And you mentioned the MVP 
uh, is out. And once again, I tell you, Rod, Doc Rivers can't get a break. You can't get a break. He, he, he's down 3-0. People are stuck. Oh, here we go. You know Doc is being down, having the lead. He's up 3-0, rather. You know Doc having the lead. They got a chance to come back. And so they eliminate uh, Toronto. But in keeping Embiid in longer, aside from the other, aside from the original injury he had, now he's got another injury. He's missing the first two games. And, Rod, uh, this this James Harden is not the Houston James Harden. He doesn't seem like he's a guy that could put this team on his back and ride them. Is this going to be a missed opportunity again for the Sixers? You know what, Larry? Uh, that's a great question. It, it seems like it, it it might just be that way. Because as you mentioned, you know, I, I just told you a second ago I voted for Joel Mead as the MVP um, of the league. And as you mentioned, he has a couple injuries now uh, with a ligament, um, you know, a little bit of battle against a concussion potentially. And also now there's this orbital fracture um, so that he could still potentially play through. But, man, I mean, if he's not out there and he's not um, at his MVP-type level, the Sixers could not win a championship this year, as you mentioned. And it's unfortunate because it seems like every year they're right there There's something happens to them. And they have a player, you would think, James Harden, that could pick up some of that slack. But just this year, especially with Philly, as you mentioned, he has not been able to kind of just put together for a number of games. And he just seems a little bit passive out there. I'm not sure if he's just um, you know, not, not comfortable in his role yet in terms of the way he's being used in offense. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's com- being a new guy coming in the middle of the season, trying to steal your way without stepping on anybody's toes. But it's go time for James Harden right now. He has to come out here and show people that he is that guy. You know, this is – um, you know, that, a team that he wanted to go to. You know, he, he basically forced his way out of Houston, uh, then forced his way out of Brooklyn. So now the spotlight has been really on his, him and his back to many people and saying, well, all right, man, you, you wanted out these other places, and, you know, now you're not coming up the, the way you should be or the way that maybe people think that um, you should. So uh, it's definitely going to be on James Harden to come out here in this series and light it up. And it's just, as you said, be a Harden of old when he's out there dropping 30 points minimum per game and getting like, you know, a double-double with assists. Like, not just being James Harden, you're out there just, just just scoring and just getting 40 points, not helping the teammates be better. But if you can go out there and drop 25, 30 points, get yourself 8, 9, 10 assists plus, then they'll be in good shape. But I think, as, as, you, as you know, um, you know, for some reason, the Miami Heat just get overlooked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they're number one seed in the East. Eric Spolster every year. I mean, talk about awards. I voted for him number one um, as my coach of the year because again, I just it's you look at just what he does with the amount of talent they have, and they just seem to somehow just be right there every year. Even the re- quote unquote rebuilding year for those guys is a playoff season, which is ridiculous. Um, which of course many Knicks fans would take something like that. So I just think that the Heat, the way they're built, um, just having a tough mentality. Uh, with Jimmy Butler and even with Kyle Lowry being out, um, you know, bam on a bio up in there, it seems like they have enough in the series. So I, I think that, again, if MB was healthy, potentially you yeah, could see them getting past the Heat. Um, but Miami, again, is one of those teams that nobody gets credit for. Man, I think they kind of ride that healing out to potentially get to the, to the finals. You know, Nick fans hate Pat Riley. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, absolutely. And the one thing he's been able to do with, with Miami – is have sustainable success, whether he's on the sidelines or in the front office. And 
you know, that's what you, you know, you don't like them, but you respect what they're able to do. And you said it year after year, they find a way. And here's their secret. They play the same way in the playoffs that they do in the regular season. They're as physical in the regular season, Ron, as they are in the playoffs. And you don't want to face them because you know what's happening. They're very stingy. The only thing that, that I'll say about them that really hurts them is the fact that they still go through stretches where they may not be able to score. But other right. than that, but you don't score a lot of points, so so then they're always in a game. You're right, Larry. It's funny. I was just watching a little bit of the uh, the Mets and Phillies games. I never watched baseball anymore, but I was just watching a little bit of that to see Scherzer pitch. And um, you know, David Cohn's on the broadcast. He kind of mentioned how how New York could be a Mets, you know, a Mets town, um, National League town, when the Mets are winning and they're good. And obviously, I grew up there in the '80s um, when when they were good with Dwight and those guys. So. I still have to say that the Knicks, they got good to that point, too, when they had, you know, um, Pat Rowley as the head coach. And I'll never forget when he left. It just seemed like like a, a really somber day because it was weird because we had this kind of championship-type coach. He was like, ah, right, you know, I'm out of here. Before you know he's in Miami. And he's still there, Larry. <laughs> he's still there decades. Like, not, not like five. I'm talking about 20 Plus, years later, they've won championships and they're still in the playoffs as number one seed. So that's that, you're right. So Knicks fans kind of hate him for that reason because he's built the kind of success that you want to see at your, at your in terms of Knicks fans over the years for more than just a year or two. Not make the playoffs one year and be out for five. Like, you want to be able to be in the playoffs every year. So that's what the Heat are doing. The Heat are showing you that it's not all about wits and grammar at times. Yeah, um, as you mentioned, they, they could go through their spots where they can't score the ball, but it comes back to one thing in those guys, defense and grit and just heart. And at times in the playoffs, you can't teach those things. That's why the Heat, you can't count them out in this, in this series for sure. No question about it. Rod, thanks for your expertise, my friend. We'll talk down the line as we get closer and closer to the NBA championship. Hey, anytime, Larry. Thanks a lot, buddy. I appreciate all right. it. All right, sounds good. Rod Boone from the Charlotte Observer. The New York Jets, who had what many feel was an outstanding draft. To analyze it for us further, one of the beat guys who covers the Jets for the Associated Press, he is Dennis Wazak. We affectionately call him the Wizard. And he joins us next on 9870 ESPN. Hi, Mr. Wazak. Hey, Larry. It's it's like it was almost as if we were back in Cortland <laughs> at Doug's Fish Fry and Harry Tony's with me, you, and Rod Boone. I mean, it, it's like trying to dissect Rex's defenses again. This is, exactly. It's like a, a Jets beat reunion. The original three amigos. <laughs> That's it, man. <laughs> so, Dennis, thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. Uh, overall, give me your – you're there covering the Jets. You're at one Jets drive in the press room for all this – Give me your sense after, as this round one is playing out and they get Sauce Gardner, number four, okay, you wonder, huh, okay, all right, and they go offense at 10, aren't you starting to think, excuse me, don't you guys know you need a pass rusher? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and it, it was so intriguing going into uh, you know, the night, that first night, as to what was going to happen with those first few picks leading up to the Jets and what – you know, Jacksonville was going to do, Detroit was going to do, and wondering if it came down to it, if the Jets were even going to go for an offensive lineman at number four. So then they get the corner in Sauce Gardner, and he was arguably the number one corner available. You know, some people might have said Derek Stingley, 
who went uh, three to Houston. But, you know, getting Gardner there, I mean, that, that's a guy who they envision to be a Darrell Rivas type. And he may never reach those heights, but a guy at number four is going to be a, 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 a shutdown corner. That's what they're looking for out of him. And, and he kind of has those traits. And so then you get down to number 10, and they take Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver. Well, that was a big need going into the offseason in general, you know, and, and they made a push for Tyreek Hill, and there were rumors about Debo Samuel. Well, they went after, at number 10, Garrett Wilson to get a speedy guy who could, who could really uh, lengthen the field for, for Zach Wilson and kind of open things up uh, short and intermediate for the tight ends and some of the other receivers there. So then – you're like, like you said, Larry, it's like, wait, but, you know, they really do need that edge rusher. All of a sudden, the, the Jets are on the clock again at the end of the, the first round, and it's like, whoa, and then you knew. Because Jermaine Johnson was a guy who that they were really high on, and you heard that they, they might even, at number four, consider him as, as the guy who was their number one pass rusher. And then at 10, he's still there. At 15, he's still there. Well, then Joe Douglas gets on the phone, and he's like, hey, you know, we, we, can, we can move it back into the first round and get our guy, and sure enough, it works out. They get back into the first round, and they pick a guy who they think can be an immediate contributor, a guy who can complement Carl Lawson and really boost that pass rush. And so you knock out three of your top needs going into the draft in the first round. It, it, was, it was wild. I mean – they have every right to be excited about that because they got that done. And then, Larry, they go into the next round, trade up, and get a running back who everybody thought was the number one running back in that draft. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's something – it's a draft haul we haven't seen the Jets have in a long time. It is. And you know what? I tell you, it's something that, quite frankly, Dennis, Joe Douglas needed because yes. his free agency stuff has been spotty. It's not his fault. The guys he gets gets hurt. Okay, Corey Davis, they brought him in as the wide receiver. He got hurt. Lost him with the Achilles. He's out. Uh, another d- defender whose name escapes me left with spleen injury. He's out for the year. So, you know, but we all go back to the first offensive lineman he brought in who was, who was retired and came in. And the way he played, you understood why he was retired. He was done mentally and physically. So I think Joe Douglas really needed this draft. And hopefully now now he's done his part. Here's the next thing, Dennis. Can uh, Robert Sala and his staff coach these guys up? Because, you know, defensively, they weren't they were not as good as I think they could have been last season. Right. And I think, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, you were referring to Ryan Khalil, you know, coming mm-hmm. in. Here's a yep. guy we need him to play they've come a long way since then. And I think uh, Joe Douglas has learned a lot since then as well. And I think you've seen really over the last two years, these two last two off seasons, building something here, building, there's a plan and, and you could see what he's trying to do. Now it is on Robert Sala and his coaching staff who were very young and inexperienced at, at the positions that they were coaching last year to take themselves to the next level as well. I mean, a first time head coach, first-time offensive coordinator, a first-time full-time defensive coordinator. You have guys who were learning on the job as coaches as well. Um, so, so really, this whole big thing was a, really a work in progress from the players on the roster to the coaching staff. Now, what they need to do 
is have all of these guys mesh. And I think they're bringing in certain guys that they believe who could step in and play. And the good thing is for them, they have a lot of young guys who were forced into, into starting roles last year and the year before who can now be young, but in very experienced backups. So now you have that, but all this said, Larry, the, the bottom line is they need their quarterback, Zach Wilson, to have been the right guy. He needs to have been the right choice of quarterback a year ago, and he needs to take those steps for all of this to really come to fruition. My guest is Dennis Wozniak, covers the Jets for the Associated Press. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Dennis, I'll get back to the quarterback in a second. I want to ask you this. The fact that the Jets did not take – an offensive lineman high. As a matter of fact, they took another tight end before they took an offensive lineman. Does that mean that Makai Becton's going to be okay? And we're hearing possibility of him shifting to the right side. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, so as far as them taking Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end from Ohio State, that that was a surprise because there were still some some needs that you thought. And tight end wasn't a glaring need, especially since they signed C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin in free agency. So you, you have your two tight ends there. But the, the, the talent that Ruckert has, they figured, you know what, he's there, we're taking him, and we're going to have three guys now at that position who can help Zach Wilson out. Now, as far as Becton, they, I mean, they didn't take an offensive lineman until the fourth round, Max Mitchell, who it can play right tackle, left tackle. But, you know, he's more of a depth type person right now, a guy out of uh, Louisiana Lafayette. So with that said, it seems that that that's, that kind of opens the door for Makai Becton to come back when, uh, you know, his, his girlfriend is, is having a baby uh, in a couple of weeks. I mean, very shortly, actually, I think. And he's working out. He's, he's rehabbing. He's posting the videos. The Jets know this. But when they were talking about him the other day, I, I asked Robert Sala, I said, you know, when you're, you're talking about left and right tackle, he had initially said, you know, th that they would compete, he and George Fant. But I said, George Fant has said he's more comfortable at left tackle, and he played well last year. So would you consider just having Makai come in and play it on the right side and start from there? And he said, you know what, when he gets here, we'll see. And, um, you know, and we'll see how he, how he feels, how he looks, and, and we'll go from there. So that kind of opened the door to that idea. And, I, and quite frankly, I think that makes more sense at this point because how do you have a competition at left tackle between those two guys through the summer? Well, the loser all of a sudden has to switch and play right mm. tackle. It doesn't work that way. It sounds like it's easy, but it's not. And then who would play right tackle? So I think that's the best game plan for them at this point, especially a guy coming off of that injury like Mekhi Beckton. Let him come in and ease into – the right side. He's athletic. He's he's a he's he's an enormous human being, Larry. He he can play this guy. He just has to not get hurt, you know. And I think the system that the the Michael Floor offense is might even suit Makai Becton playing on the right side even more so than the left. Hmm. That's interesting because uh, because I also there was some talk of Elijah Vera Tucker moving over to the right side as well. Which he will do. He will do that because they, they signed Lakin Tomlinson in free agency. He's going to play left guard. So they'll have Elijah Vera Tucker on the right side. So all of a sudden, the two guys that you thought would be on the left 
<laughs> could be on the right if you have Vera Tucker and Vera Tucker and Becton on the on the uh, right side. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> All right, Dennis, talk to me about this young quarterback. I, I've been kind of hard on him because I, 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 I felt that he would be a little better than what he showed uh, last season. Believe me, I've seen a lot of rookie quarterbacks with the Jets, Dennis, mm-hmm. as you have, mm-hmm. and you know that they mm-hmm. all struggle. You know they struggle with different things, and then they face – first of all, they go to school. They have to get their masters when they go against Bill Belichick uh, twice <laughs> in the same in the same division. But I just I just felt that – Coaches have always said, Dennis, that it's about competition, right? That that brings out the best in people. And and I submit that after his season last year, I know he's the number one guy. I know he deserves to start. I know he's your franchise guy. But doggone it, he doesn't deserve to just walk in and have the job handed to him the way he played last year. He deserves to have to fight for that job. That, yeah, I, I could see where you're coming from with that. I think the only, the only, only flaw to that thinking is that everything we've heard through the offseason from – the end of last season through this off season up till this very moment has been, we need to get playmakers. We need to help Zach Wilson. We do, we need to help Zach progress. It's been all about Zach Wilson. So it would be hard for them to sell the idea that, well, you know, he's not necessarily going to start week one. Like he needs to kind of show some things that said, I think, Having Joe Flacco back, as, as much as like, you know, fans might laugh at that, you know, he's an experienced veteran. And Mike White showed that he could play in this offense as well. So I think the leash on Zach Wilson will be shorter. If he struggles, there's not as much of a, uh, you know, issue with, okay, we need to, you know, what are we going to do? We just got to let him take his lumps. Well, he took his lumps last year, you know, and he got hurt. And he sat and watched, and he watched – Mike White, Joe Flacco, and Josh Johnson really worked that offense the way that they expected to work, and he saw that. And the glimmer of hope that the Jets can hang their hats on is the fact that Zach Wilson did not throw an interception in his last five games. That's key. That He didn't light things up. He didn't go crazy with the yardage or the touchdowns, but the fact that the mistakes were cut down, that is a huge indicator that something clicked. So now what they need to do in this offseason is make sure all of that clicking takes the next step and to the next level. And I like that he has kind of gone on the Zach Wilson tour across America with uh, some of his wide receivers, going to Nashville with Corey Davis, going to Miami with Braxton Berrios and Elijah Moore, and, and you know going back home to Utah and throwing with some guys. And uh, he's all about getting better. And that's what you want to see. You want to see that. And now – We'll see once OTAs start and then minicamp, how he can translate that onto the field. But he's now got a full offseason with the Mike LaFleur playbook. So that, that's, that's what you've got to look at as the positives going into this. All right. No Tyreek Hill, no Debo Samuel walking through that Jet clubhouse. So the receivers that they have there, though, Dennis, including the uh, Wilson, who they got in the draft, uh, if, if Elijah Moore can stay healthy, uh, they have the potential with the two tight ends that they signed. They have a potential to be a real, a pretty good offense. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it seems funny to say that after what we saw last season and how much they struggled for a good chunk of the season, not being able to, to move the ball or get the ball into the end zone. But when, like you said, when you look at that, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, even Braxton Berrios, who, you know, came kind of came out of nowhere as a guy, 
who wasn't just a return guy, but he could he could play. You know, he he could play in the slot. He can make plays across the middle. Um, he he kind of made Jamison Crowder expendable. Not so much mm-hmm. Elijah Moore. There was a lot of Elijah Moore or Jamison Crowder. Well, Braxton Berrios now could be that slot guy. And now you're talking about the tight ends with Uzama and Tyler Conklin. And let's not forget the running backs can catch the ball out of the backfield too with Michael Carter and the kid that they drafted in the second round, Brees Hall. Those two guys can make plays and, and make big plays out of the backfield catching the ball. So all of a sudden you have, you have weapons, you have playmakers, you have guys who can, um, you know, if Zach Wilson gets in trouble, he can dump it short. Um, it, that was one of the problems he had last year. If you remember a lot of his short throws, he was just misfiring on, but I think that was a lack of confidence. I think his head was spinning, but now you've got. Dennis, we lose you. All right. Well, unfortunately, Dennis, we lost him, but, um, you know, he made some great points and, and we'll get him back and, and he'll join us another time. But, uh, that, that's one of the things that with this young offensive team, Maybe he doesn't have to throw the ball down the field. You've got playmakers that can throw it short, and they do the work. So it's going to be interesting to see what this Jet team is able to do during the offseason and as they go into OTAs and, and training camp, how they're able to put this together. It's going to be great. We thank Dennis Wazek for joining us from the AP. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.